0: Okay. So, um, thank you for giving me this chance to, to speak. Um, this is my first time preaching at Emmaus and at, in Seoul really in Korea, um, and at church. Uh, the first time I really preached, uh, in recent years was earlier this year. I went to Sri Lanka for a mission trip and, um, I, I was really honored to be able to be used by God to bring the word and to bring the gospel. Um, Today, I'm going to be preaching about joy, okay? We're going to be talking about joy. Uh, I felt as JP asked me to, to preach just a few days ago, um, <laughs> I had nothing planned. I had no idea what was going to I had no idea this was going to happen just less than 48 hours ago, but then, um, uh, yeah, he asked me, and you know what? I felt like I'm up for the challenge, and more importantly, I felt like God gave me a word to give to you guys. And so I'm really excited to share this with you. Uh, Before I start, let's just pray. If you could bow your heads with me. Uh, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, be your vessel, to to just bring your word tonight and to bring clarity and also to uh, let faith rise up in the hearts of everyone who's here. Father, I pray that every person in here would leave this place with a greater measure of faith and a greater measure of hope and a greater measure of joy. In their hearts, Father, God, um, yeah, this is what we ask of you tonight. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, so um, I'm going to be talking about joy. As I said, we love joy. Who loves joy? Everyone? Yes, everyone. Right? We love happiness. We love positivity. We like being around people who are happy. Right? We don't. Nobody likes hanging out with someone who's grumpy. Right? No one's like. Let's go hang out with uh, Johnny over here, who's always, like, grouchy, you know? No one does that, right? Uh, We seek joy and pleasure whenever we can. That's natural. That's our human instinct, right? We seek happiness. Dictionary.com defines joy as the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying, keen pleasure or elation, okay? That's the dictionary definition of joy, something that causes or or something that has great uh, happiness caused by something um, that causes it, right? Okay, now let's take out our Bibles and turn to James. This is where uh, I'll be preaching out of. James chapter 1. I don't hear any pages flipping. I guess everyone already had it open. (laughs) All right, James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Okay, here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay. So James here says, consider it pure joy when you face difficulties, when you face trials. Hold on. Isn't joy about happiness? I thought joy was like good stuff, right? Um, James, what you talking about? What you talking about, James? (laughs) Uh, We often think of joy as a strong sense of happiness, right? Uh, Oftentimes joy is described as a a greater um, version of just happiness, right? And this is true to an extent because happiness gives us a measure or some sense of what joy is. Right? We wouldn't know what joy is unless we understood this emotion of being happy. Right, But happiness is a limited version of joy, uh, not just in magnitude or in amount, but in its very essence. Okay? Joy and happiness, we can understand the two in relation to each other, but in essence they're very different. Okay? And I want to explore what scripture has to say about joy so that we have a better understanding of it. Okay? And this is by no means a comprehensive look, but I think it will help us to understand what it is and also to equip us to deal with any kind of hardships. Okay? That's really what I want to do tonight. I want us to understand what joy is, and I want us to be able to be equipped to deal with hardships. Okay? So I've got three, big, um, three main points if you're taking notes. Uh, my first point is that joy is an expression of faith and hope. Joy is an expression of faith and hope. Okay, so in Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, I'll just read it. It says, We also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. If we read further down in our passage in James chapter 1, if we look down in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so before I really get into what joy is, I want to introduce a few concepts, okay? Uh, I'm glad I'm talking to college students because most of you probably Studied this um, pretty recently, or you will at some point, especially if you're a a psych major or something. Um, But uh, anybody heard of intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation? Yes? Can I see some hands? Yes? Okay, good. Um, There's also something called intrinsic value versus extrinsic value, right? we like being happy, right? We already established this. People love happiness. Uh, for many of us, our cause or source of happiness it can be different things. It can be food, sleep, friends, a sense of security, our blankies, whatever it may be, uh, movies, etc. Right? Did you ever think about why these things make you happy? Right? We all have that thing that makes us happy, but why? Why does it make you happy? Okay. And this is what intrinsic versus extrinsic value kind of explores. Okay, so if you value something intrinsically, that means you value that thing for what it is, just for what it is, right? If you value something extrinsically, that means you value that thing for what it can give you or get you, right? So, for example, if you value your friend intrinsically, that means you like that friend just because of who that person is, right? You're not like looking for something, right? If you value a friend extrinsically, that means you like like that friend, in in quotations, right? You like that friend because of what that person can get for you, right? Maybe it's their social connections. Maybe it's because that person's generous. Maybe because um, you feel better when you're around this person, right? That is extrinsic value, okay? Um, Money is the perfect example of something that has extrinsic value, right? We all value money. We understand what value is mainly through money, right? When we talk about value, we talk mostly about money, right? How much is that thing worth? It's worth 20 bucks, whatever, right? Uh, We talk about value by using monetary terms, right? Now, um, money itself does not have intrinsic value, right? Because if you think about it, if you are stuck on a desert island, right, and you have a one bill in your pocket, and then you have to make a fire, and you have to use something to burn, right? No one, no one in their right mind would be like, oh, I'm going to use this to buy myself a, a sandwich later, right? No, you're on a desert island. You have to use that man one bill to burn it up so you can have fire so you can live, right? Um, it doesn't have intrinsic value. It only has value in relation to other things, right? So motivation is similar, right? We're motivated to do things by intrinsic uh, versus et- extrinsic value, right? So no natural person in their right mind... Uh, wakes up in the morning and says, what can I do to make my life more difficult? Right? Anyone ever done that? No, right? It's the opposite. If you're like me, I'm always trying to hit two birds with one stone. So why do I make a shopping list? Okay? Anybody make a grocery list before? Yes? Okay, when you make a grocery list, it's not because you're like, ooh, I like how those letters line up. Yeah. You know? you're not like making a list because you enjoy making a list. You make a list because it's useful to you, right? It has extrinsic Value It motivates you extrinsically, right? So I do that because when I go to the e-mart, I want to make sure that I have everything in my mind that I need um, so that I'm not going there every time I remember, oh, I need to get groceries today. Oh, I also need to get a a pair of socks. So I'm not going to make two trips. I'm going to go there on one trip if I can, right? Extrinsic motivation, right? I don't like budgeting. Anyone here like budgeting? Nobody, Right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nobody intrinsically values budgeting, but we know the extrinsic value of it. We know that it allows us to save money. It allows us to keep under our you know spending limit, right? So that is extrinsic motivation, right? Why do we study? Why do you study? Why do you study, right? <laughs> Some of you are, like, questioning your life right now. Um, yeah. Uh, very few people, I would guess, actually enjoy studying for the sake of studying, right? Most of us do it, Okay. <laughs> Don't get convicted. <laughs> I mean, this is not my message, but you know, I'm just, this as an example, right? Most of us do it because our parents told us to do it from a young age, or we know that we need that paper that says we graduated so that we can get that job, so that we can get that career that pays, so we can get married and have a stable career and retire and fulfill our dreams and you know retire comfortably and die, right? That's why most of us study. I'm not saying not to study, but I am saying that probably – the amount of people that really, really intrinsically enjoy studying is probably a lot smaller than the number of college enrollments around the world. <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially these days, right? It's like a business. Something I find to hold intrinsic value is music. I don't listen to music because I'm like, ooh, this is going to get me cash money, right? I, I listen to music because I just enjoy it for what it is. That is intrinsic value. So what do we know about humans? Adult humans have the capacity to delay gratification. Everyone say, delayed gratification. gratification. I always wanted to try that as a preacher. (laughs) They always make you repeat things when they're preaching, you know? (laughs) Delayed gratification. You guys know what that is, right? It's when you sacrifice the gratification of something for the um, enjoyment of it later or so that you can get something greater. In, in, in essence, it's sacrifice, right? So, for example, you keep yourself from eating that cake because you have a goal in mind to be at a certain weight by a certain time, right? Because if, if you knew that that didn't contribute to your weight gain, you'd probably be eating cake all the time, right? You might save money and not spend every paycheck on chimjilbangs and yang kochi because you are looking to eventually start a family. I'm speaking about myself. I love... <laughs> I love ginger and Yang Kochi is a newfound love of mine. (laughs) Uh, When we know the goal, and we have the end in sight, it's much easier to endure pain and suffering, right? And we can even do it with a sense of joy, because anyone who's tried to follow a budget or a diet or an exercise plan knows that a little bit of pain and suffering is involved, right? Yeah. If, you, if it was easy, everyone would be dieting. Everyone would have six packs, but that's not the case, right? <laughs> we do it for the crown. We do it for the crown of weight loss or health or degree or marriage or whatever your motivation might be, right? So what if we can't see the end result? What if we can't see the end result? What if we don't know where the path leads? Sometimes we go through hardships and we have no idea why it's happening to us. We don't even know for what purpose it's happening. Sometimes it's just senseless. It seems like it's senseless suffering. right? There's no extrinsic motivation. There's nothing motivating us to continue in this path. When we have an end goal in mind, we can endure suffering. We're great at that. But if we can't see the end goal it requires something called faith. Faith. To have joy in that situation. Right? If I know that I'm going to get a degree that says I graduated, I'm going to take that economics class, even though I would never otherwise have any interest in it. Right? If I know that I'm going to lose weight and get healthy, I'm going to subject my body to exercise and pain. If I know I'm going to get a monthly paycheck, I'm going to get up at an ungodly hour to commute to work, right? But what about those trials and hardships where we don't see the end goal? Sometimes we ask God, why, why, God, is this happening to me? Why, right? We ask God why. We don't understand. Have you ever gone through something like that? Have you ever gone through something where you're just like, this makes no sense? Like, what did I do? Right? Why are you doing this to me? Or are you currently in that season? Right? And whether you're in that season now or not, you will be someday, so either way, listen. (laughs) Uh, So, here in James 1, verse 2, the apostle urges us to consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What kind of crazy talk is this? Let's unpack this a bit. What, James, are you talking about? It seems like madness. What kind of craziness? Are you telling me to be masochistic? A masochist, by the way, is someone who takes pleasure in their own pain, right? Just like we call someone who takes pleasure in someone else's pain a sadist, right? That's sadism. um, James, are you telling me to take pleasure in in my own pain? Yes, but not in that twisted sense. Remember our definition of joy? The emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. That definition works. That definition works for our purposes. Because our joy in trials comes from the knowledge that our faith is being tested. Our joy in trials comes from the, faith co- comes from the knowledge that our faith is being tested. Okay, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There's this quote by Rick Warren. It says, "Worry." Okay, listen. Let this one sink in. This one's deep. This is a pop tan. Uh, worry is practical atheism. Okay, worry is practical atheism. Okay. In other words, worry is unbelief. Worry is unbelief. It's unbelief that God is good or that he is sovereign. Okay? You might believe that he is good, but if you're worrying, what you're really saying is that he's not powerful enough to fulfill that goodness. Okay? You might believe that he's sovereign, but if you worry, you're saying that he isn't good. He has all that power to make things better, but he won't because he's not good, right? I'm not saying that you should never have concerns or be careful in life, right? That's not wise. But the worry he's talking about here, I think, would be better described by saying despair, okay? Despair is defined as the loss of hope, okay? So we're not talking about just like day-to-day worries, right? Which even that, right, if, if it gets to you too much, then, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to wonder how much faith do you have, right? Uh, but, uh, so despair or worry is the expression of unbelief, and joy, then, is the expression of faith and hope, which is the opposite. Let's say it again. So despair or worry is the expression of unbelief, and joy is the expression of Of faith and hope. Okay? If our joy is an expression of faith, I would dare say that our joyfulness is an indicator of our level of faith. Okay? The level of joy you are able to possess during trials directly correlates to your level of faith. Think about it. What faith are you showing when everything is hard and you respond with despair? Where's the faith? Non believers do the same thing. Okay, It requires zero faith to respond negatively when everything around you is negative. Zero faith. But when you can be joyful despite your circumstances, that is an indicator of faith. I'm not saying that you should skip around and pretend everything is okay when it's not. Okay? There is a time to mourn and there is a time to weep. Even Jesus wept. Even though he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus, he wept. Right? Because it would be inappropriate, in one sense, to be laughing when everyone else is crying, right? Even as Jesus, right? And so we have to use wisdom when we do this, but in your heart, right? Do you believe? Do you believe that things will stay the same way when you're going through hardships? Do you truly believe that nothing's going to get better? Do you have hope for better days? Do you believe that God is good and sovereign Despite what you see in the natural, where is your faith? Joy expresses our hope that better days are to come. It expresses, it expresses our faith that the trial will pass and that the trial has a purpose, even when we can't see it. It expresses our hope that we will receive a crown of glory. It expresses our faith in our salvation and that he will wipe away every tear and that, he will, and that we will be united with him. Joy is our expression of faith. And hope. Joy is our expression of faith and hope. Joy is our expression of what? And what? Faith and hope. All right. Okay, so my next point is that joy is eternal. Joy is eternal. We all know the emotion of being happy. Uh, I'm going to reference dictionary.com again. It says, happiness is delighted, pleased, or glad as over a particular thing. So happiness and joy are similar in that they both give us positive feelings, right? We already established this. But there are some differences that need to be pointed out. I can be happy about my meal at McDonald's, but I can't be joyful about it, okay? 60 years from now, I'm not going to remember that sausage egg McMuffin that I had a couple weeks ago or that Shanghai Spice Burger that I like to so often get, right? Right? The satisfaction I receive from it will only last for as long as I'm eating it. And if all goes well, I will not be thinking about it while it's digesting, right? (laughs) Uh, So we do our foodstagram and muxstagram, right? But how many of us actually go back and look at our photos of things we ate and try to relive those moments? Please do not raise your hands. Please do not raise your hands. We live in a twisted generation. I'm afraid to ask you. A happy meal can bring you happiness, but it can't give you joy. (laughs) Okay. So, um, yes, a happy meal can bring you happiness, but it can't give you joy, right? Happiness is fleeting, but joy is eternal. Happiness is anchored on temporal, physical things. Your happiness can be the result of a medium rare filet mignon or a passing grade on an exam, or the approval of a friend or a parent. But when those things are absent, you won't be feeling that happiness any longer because your happiness was anchored on those specific things. Joy, on the other hand, is eternal because it's anchored on something eternal. It's directly correlated to faith. In Acts chapter 16, in Acts chapter... In Acts... In Acts chapter 16, sorry, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. They had just been beaten and they were chained. In verse 25, it says, okay, I'm just going to read it. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. What? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't think I would be singing songs right after getting a butt whooping and being locked up. Right and but this is what Paul and Silas are doing. They were beaten and they were chained and they were singing songs, not just like kind of like sadly to themselves, like "The Lord is my shepherd." I don't even know what song this is, but you know they were they were singing enough that others could hear them. Right, they were joyful. They were joyful. I'm sure they weren't like laughing and happy, but they were joyful. Right. So how was it that Paul and Silas were able to sing in the prison cell? We can get a glimpse into the mind of Paul when he writes to the church in Philippi. So as far as biblical scholars are concerned, we can't be sure if this letter was written from this particular imprisonment. It's more likely that it's from a later imprisonment. But regardless, we get a sense of the inner workings of Paul. So let's turn to Philippians 1. Okay, I'm just going to start reading from verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, here's that very famous passage. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Okay. So what we can see here is that Paul's joy was not anchored on physical circumstances. Clearly they were not anchored on physical circumstances. This man was in jail. right? His joy was anchored in the hope of Christ, which is eternal. So he knew that if he lived, he'd live for Christ. He also knew that if he died, he would be with Christ. And until then, his joy was in fulfilling the call on his life. And we see that tension here. On one hand, he wants to be with God, and on the other, he wants to serve. Okay. Paul's strength was in the joy of the Lord, which brings me to my last point. Joy is a source of strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That comes from Nehemiah 8.10. Psalm 28.7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. My heart leaps for joy, and I will give thanks to him in song. Anyone here exercise? <laughs> I, see, I see one hand twittering. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, anyone run in, in particular? Anyone? <laughs> no? Okay. So, running in and of itself, for me, is not very enjoyable, okay? I'm a runner. When I first started running, it was hard. It was very, very hard. I hated it. I was always a sprinter, like a fast runner, and I hated doing long distance. But why do I do it? Because I knew the end result was being in better shape and being healthier. I knew that, so I did it. Uh, That's why we do it. And for some of us who are lucky, we get a little something they call runner's high, right? I get that sometimes, you know. It keeps me a little bit motivated. It's like a little little treat to keep me going here and there. Um, but the whole time I'm running, I'm not really that comfortable, right? My knees hurt. I'm, like, sweaty. And I'm, like, breathing in and out. I feel like my lungs are going to pop out of my chest or something, right? But I find that the more I do it, the longer I do it, um, it you know, I get better at it. I get stronger. My endurance builds up, Right? Uh, you, men and Amy just did uh, the ride against traffic. I bet it wasn't easy, right? <laughs> easy? No, probably not, right? And you trained for it, right? But you did it with that end goal in mind. And and what kept you going was not just that, oh, I'm doing this thing, but you had the greater vision in mind, right? You had that finish line in mind, right? That kept you going. I think Paul was a runner, this is just my opinion, or he was at least familiar with training, right? He uses several analogies in scripture. In Philippians 3.14, Paul writes, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9.24-27, to Paul writes, do you, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So why do I do it? Why do I run? I do it for the prize of health. But as I said, it gets easier and easier as I train. I don't have to muster up my strength anymore just to go out the door for a run, right, which before I would have to do, right? Sometimes you have to, like, call someone and be like, hey, you want to go running? And then if they say no, you're like, ah, I don't have to run, right? But it helps when you have that, you know, partnership. But now I don't have to do that anymore. I I just want to go running. In fact, these days, I'm trying to fit it into my schedule. I'm like, can I go running tonight? Oh, crap, I can't go running tonight, you know? (laughs) It's it's amazing what, you know, what a journey does to you, right? Right. As we mature in our walks, we will likewise find ourselves understanding the truth that trials are going to only make us better, okay? I'm not like seeking hardships. I'm not like, come on, world, throw me your best shot. You know, give me your hardest things for the day. You know, I'm not doing that, but I just know they're coming. And when they do come, right, I don't despair. I submit it to the Lord and trust in his goodness and his sovereignty. Why is it that it gets easier in a sense? As it says in our verse, the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. It develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Let's look at Jesus as the prime example. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says... There was joy set before Christ. There was joy. Joy for Christ. How can Christ have joy in the most unlikely and agonizing of circumstances? I mean, we know it was like the most violent, one of the most violent and and painful ways to die. How could he have joy? It was glory. It was our salvation. It was his expression of love. There was joy in it. And that motivated him, to so to speak, right? On the cross, I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't having fun, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't happy. There was nothing around him that would suggest that he would be happy in that moment. Nothing, right? All his friends abandoned him. He's on the cross hanging. getting the worst kind of beating you could think of, 30, 40 minus one lashings, right? Nailed to a cross dying over a a long period of, of many hours, right? He was fully human just as if you or I were to hang on the cross, right? In Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, right? Jesus didn't use His divinity to somehow bypass the pain of the cross, right? Jesus suffered, but there was glory to be had for him. There was joy set before him. Now, we are not exactly the same as Jesus, right? It is enough that we are like our teacher, right? Um, but we can still look to him as a great example. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus in verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Okay? Why should we consider it pure joy when we face trials? Because it expresses our faith that God is good and sovereign. He isn't either or. He is both good and mighty. When we face trials, we must recognize that there is a future glory to be had. Right? If God is perfect and God is good and He is our creator and our teacher and He has good things for us, shouldn't we be trusting that Everything is going to somehow work out, right, according to his will, according to the purposes that he has for us. Every fiber of our being might tell us to run from our trials. And sometimes we have that temptation. But we ought to consider it, what? Pure joy. Pure joy. It's very strong, right? How do we do it? How can you consider trials as pure joy by faith by faith by believing this truth about god that he is good and mighty right if you truly believe in his character in his goodness and sovereignty there is no room for unbelief there is no room for fear trust that he will make all things right even when we face what seems like senseless injustice right I just want to tell you a little bit of my story. Um, some of you may know about my job situation from last year. Um, the last couple of years at my previous job uh, has been kind of a nightmare for me in many ways. When I first got this job offer, I, I had prayed into it, and I thought, and I felt like God was leading me, giving me that little nudge, like, yeah, do it. It's like, all right, God, I'll do it. You know, one semester went by, and it was, it was all right, you know, um, then things got very bad pretty quickly. The next semester, uh, I was being given a bigger workload. Uh, most teachers, most normal teachers, Korea isn't normal in terms of teaching, but most teachers <laughs> get like you know two or three different lesson preps, and then you teach those like two or three times a day, right? And so you're not having to lesson prep like every single class, right? That that takes a lot of time. It's pretty unnecessary. Um, And my first semester was like that. And then the next semester, they gave me, like, seven different classes, and they were all different. Every single one of them was different. It was crazy. I was like, but uh, okay. I just just swallowed my pride. I was like, you know what? I feel like this is going to be good for me. So I just did it. I just did it. I just bore it, and I went for it. And then I felt like there was a lot of injustice. There was a lot of... um, uh, criticizing of my teaching style. They were, they were giving me um, bad reviews. And, you know, teachers do that every so often. They, they have to go through, like, reviews and say, okay, you can work on this, this was good, whatever, right? But I, I was getting it from people that I didn't really respect as teachers. I didn't think they really knew what they were doing, you know? I'm like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't like hearing this from you, you know? <laughs> um, and it really wounded my pride. It really wounded my pride, if I'm honest, you know? But even then, I tried to just hold it in, and I just bore it. I just bore it. Then um, things started getting worse in terms of, like, finances, right? Um, Many of us weren't getting paid on time, and then we started to find out very slowly that our school was not doing very well financially. And, in fact, we were losing money. We were losing students. um, People were getting paid late, and then, you know, Eventually, the money just kind of ran dry, and every time we'd approach our boss about getting payment, it was always like, there's a story or something. Something came up, or, oh, I'll get it to you this time, or I'll get it to you next time, whatever. And, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, you know what, I'm just going to do my job, and, you know, I bore it. People left here and there. Uh, I stayed till the bitter end, and to this day, I'm owed something like $10 won. $10,000, okay? Um, During this whole time, you can imagine what was going on in my head. I'm just like, what is going on, Lord? Why does this have to happen? Why can't people just manage their finances when it's not even their own money, right? I'm like, why? Why this senselessness, right? But I realized, even if I can't see the end result... You know, God kept me there for a reason. He was teaching me something. He was teaching me humility. He was teaching me um, how to trust for God, for, for God to provide me with finances, right? Is my trust in man or is it in God, right? Uh, I realized, just as it says in Psalm 23, he says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay? God planned for me to be there. Okay? I can say that with confidence because I learned something. Right? And the crazy thing about this verse is, yeah, He's with me, but guess what? God led me through that valley of the shadow of darkness. Right? If you look at it, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's still with me. He was with me even before that. Before we walked into the valley of the shadow of death. Right? He guides me. He guides me in Passive righteousness for his name's sake, right? So what am I trying to get at? It says, he guides me. He determines where and when we live. Acts 17, 26, right? He had a plan. It may seem like senseless injustice, but I learned a very valuable lesson, right? Trust and humility. Yeah, I barely hung on financially at times, but I survived. I'm still here. I'm real, right? Um, My faith was strengthened, I have this message to preach, you know? Like, I would not have stewarded this for that long. I would not have any of this right now if it wasn't for that. And my desire is that um, what I went through, I can impart to you. I can impart that grace for that joy, that everlasting joy that you can access now, today, right? When you put your hope in the Lord, you can't lose Psalm 25.3 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Think about how powerful the mindset is. Literally nothing can harm you. Because if it's a trial, it will sharpen you, and God has a purpose for it, right? And if it's good, it's good. Just just receive it for what it is. It's a blessing, right? So if it's good, it's a blessing. If it's, if it's like a trial, God has something he's going to do with it, Right? basically like you're immortal it's like you found the secret to you know joy everlasting joy that's what this is everlasting joy right the world tells us that joy or happiness comes as a result of receiving the thing that caused the joy or even the prospect of receiving it but our joy is not anchored on material things or circumstances it is claimed by faith it's a mindset and a deliberate decision from our hearts Okay, uh, back, on, back in James 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Okay, just a side note, do not confuse trials with temptations. James talks about both of them, right? Temptations are when we are dragged away by our own desires, and God doesn't bless that. There is grace. God is gracious, but sin still leads to death, and there's a cost for it, right? He's not going to give you a crown for that, right? But when you endure the trials, right, which oftentimes are set by God, there's a crown. So here's an invitation. James says, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. You may know in your head that God is good and sovereign. But tonight I want to challenge you to let your faith rise up. Okay? I want us to be able to claim that joy in faith. Okay? So I'm just going to give you a time to respond. If you could all just bow your heads and close your eyes.